Welcome to Every Moment His, a podcast dedicated to contemplating how God's preached word impacts every moment of our lives. This sermon was preached at Holy Cross in Kearney, Nebraska by Pastor John Rasmussen. Uh, As we take a look at Mark's gospel today, we're continuing the journey with Jesus uh, in chapter 6. And if you've got a Bible, go ahead and open up that Bible to Mark chapter 6. We've covered quite a bit of ground this summer in Mark's gospel. Uh, Last week, we saw that you had this evil King Herod who uh, captured John the Baptist, had him arrested, and eventually beheaded him uh, because John the Baptist had a message that uh, Herod didn't want to hear. And so now, right after that incident, we we have a little bit of a shift of scene here in Mark's gospel. We move to this uh, event in the wilderness. Uh, this event with uh, the loaves and the fish. It's a pretty popular story. I bet most of us have heard it before, right? A couple times. It's actually in all four Gospels. Uh, In fact, it even gets a mention in our liturgical art here right behind me. Uh, I would say this is the story of when Jesus and His disciples tried to take a vacation, and the crowd interrupted that vacation, uh, but Jesus was not the least bit annoyed. Uh, We are kind of in vacation season right now, right? We kind of see that with attendance at church. Uh, Vacation is in full swing. Some of you may uh, be uh, returning from vacation, planning to go on vacation. Maybe some of you are watching right now on vacation. Uh, We are in vacation mode for sure. In fact, I just read the other day that July is, uh, is the most popular month for vacation. And I want you to imagine with me, what if you were to go on a vacation after a long stretch of just really difficult work? You've been putting in the hours, you've been just really burning yourself at both ends, and and you finally get to this place of vacation. You get away from your work for a while, but what if you show up at your vacation destination and your work got there first, and it's waiting for you? Not just the emails, not just the phone calls, but what if the actual people and their problems in your work show up? Let's say that, for example, you taught a second grade class last year, and it was the kind of class that increased your gray hair. And those kids just drove you crazy. You loved them, but they drove you crazy. And you finally, you finally sent them on to the third grade, and you're ready for some vacation. And let's say that you get to the beach, you put down your seats, you're about to sit down, and guess who's there? The whole class running amok and causing havoc and throwing sand in the air, and you're like, oh my goodness. That'd be stressful, wouldn't it? You'd feel that stress. Let's say that you work in like customer service and and you solve problems for people 40 hours plus a week, and like you, people come to you with their devices or their software or things that just don't work, and then you help them, and you've had to learn how to become a very patient person, but you go on vacation, you pull up to the lake house, and there's like hundreds of people there with their problems, and they want you to solve them in the moment, right now, urgently. How would that feel? What would you say? Don't, probably don't say out loud what you would say, right? You would not be good. Uh, you would feel stressed. You would feel inconvenienced. You would be like, look, I need some boundaries between myself and these people so I can rest and be renewed. It's sort of like uh, the movie back in 1991, uh, What About Bob? Uh, great movie. Uh, As many of you have seen it, I can tell by your laughs that you've seen the story of Bob Wiley, 
So in the movie, What About Bob, uh, Bob Wiley, uh, he is a character with a lot of phobias, a lot of fears, a lot of problems, a lot of issues, a lot of hang-ups. Uh, Bob Wiley has a lot of problems, and he takes his problems to the renowned psychologist, Dr. Leo Marvin, played by Richard Dreyfuss. And uh, in that initial appointment with Dr. Marvin, uh, Bob kind of attaches to his psychiatrist. He says, this person's going to help me. Well, after that initial appointment, um, Dr. Leo Marvin goes on vacation to Lake Winnipesaukee. And when he gets there, guess who came with uninvited? Bob Wiley. And he brought all of his problems with him. I remember that classic scene where he says, <laughs> gimme, 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 I need, I need, I need. That's the character of Bob Wiley as he comes to his doctor on vacation. There's real no, no boundaries there, right? And if you can imagine that, maybe take Bob Wiley times 5,000. That's what I imagine the crowd being that followed Jesus to this destination of rest. And the question I want to look at today is how do the disciples respond to the crowds? And how does Jesus respond to the crowds? So, in this point in the ministry of Jesus in Mark's gospel, we've seen a mixture recently of success, sadness, and stress. Jesus has experienced the success of ministry. He's followed by the crowds. They're pressing in to hear his words, to hear his teaching. Uh, they're hungry, right? They're coming to him. Uh, but he's also experienced uh, the deep disappointment and the sadness of rejection. Remember back at the beginning of chapter 6, Jesus was rejected in his hometown of Nazareth, and we were pretty sure that must have cut him deep, right? I mean, the very people he grew up with rejected him and said, we don't want to hear it. And then last week we saw that uh, John the Baptist, that prophet who paved the way for Jesus, John the Baptist was arrested and then eventually beheaded by the king. That must have hurt deeply for both Jesus and the disciples. Some of those disciples were John's disciples before they were Jesus' disciples. There would have been grief. And we also see the recent success of the disciples. They have been out on their first missionary journey that Jesus has assigned to them. Uh, about the middle of chapter 6, Jesus, right after he's rejected at Nazareth, he sends his disciples out to the towns and villages to preach the good news, to heal the sick. He gives them the authority to do that. And now, as we pick up the story here, they've returned and they're telling Jesus all the stuff they did. But I bet you they're tired. I bet you they're worn out. In fact, the text tells us uh, that Jesus says to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate, remote place and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. They didn't even have time for a snack. That's how many people are pressing in with all these needs and problems. So Jesus invites the disciples to rest. Mark 6.32 says, Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. Just as they're about to enjoy this, this earned rest, this rest that they needed, the needy, helpless, and harassed crowds are there with all their problems. The text tells us there was 5,000 plus. So much for vacation. Now, the text doesn't say that the disciples 
saw the crowds and they were very annoyed. But I have a feeling that they were because as the text continues in verses 35 and 36, it says that when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a, des a desolate place and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. I have imagined the disciples are saying, Jesus, it's our dinner time, right? It's our time for campfire and s'mores, right? Let's just get rid of these people, move them along. They're super needy. They got a lot of problems. They're kind of annoying. We just got to move them on. That's the, the posture of the disciples. They just want to get rid of them. But how is Jesus going to respond to the need of the disciples? Well, look at verse 34. This verse tells us so much about the character, about the person of our Savior. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd and he began to teach them many things. That word compassion in Greek is a, is a beautiful word, interesting word. We've talked about it in, in sermons uh, in the past before because it often comes up when Jesus meets people in need. Uh, the word in Greek is splognizomai. It's just fun to say, splognizomai. And it means deep down in the guts. It means that, that you feel compassion and pity for somebody right in here. It's not just something here, it's something right here. Literally what this is saying is that the heart of Jesus melted for these people. He wasn't annoyed, he wasn't, you know, harassed by them, but his heart melts for them. You see, as our need increases, Jesus' compassion increases. The more you're confused or perplexed, the more his heart is tender for you. The more our sin increases and we notice all the ways we've failed God and broken his laws, the more his compassion and his mercy increases for you. Jesus is not the least bit annoyed by the crowds, and he's not the least bit annoyed by any one of you here today as often as you come to him. When you come to Jesus, when you come to him with your sin, with your mistakes, with your problems, with your confusion, with your brokenness, with the heaviness of life, he doesn't treat you with that annoyed attitude, but rather he has tender compassion for you. One of the phrases uh, that I, uh, or the terms that I heard uh, even before 2020 is the term compassion fatigue. Anybody heard that? Raise your hand if you've heard that before, compassion fatigue. Uh, compassion fatigue is what happens when we experience need after need after problem after problem after need after need after problem after problem, and we are the source of help. And we encounter that so often that eventually we begin to actually need some help ourselves. Um, compassion fatigue is, is common in the helping professions, so this would be medical professions, doctors, nurses, uh, the mental health professions, those who are therapists, counselors. It'd be common among social work, for example, social workers, uh, pastors, people in ministry. I think you could throw maybe parents of small children in there, um, that we have these continual needs coming to us to the point where we may actually begin to grow numb to those needs because we actually end up needing help ourselves. 
as we have a continual barrage of needs meet us. And you know what? If, if compassion fatigue was a thing pre-2020, I guarantee you it's a thing right now. But here's the thing that I want you to know. Although we may experience compassion fatigue to some extent because we're all human, your Savior, your Good Shepherd, Jesus Christ, never experiences even the slightest amount of compassion fatigue for you, His sheep, no matter how many times you come to Him with the most complex and confusing of problems, no matter how many times you fail and fall and come to Him, He never grows weary of you. And it's important that you know that because I know that some of you here today, you know that God loves you. You know it deep down that He loves you, but sometimes you kind of wonder if maybe He's mostly disappointed with you. You think, well, maybe I just don't read my Bible enough or, or pray enough or, you know, I'm just not faithful enough as a volunteer in my church or maybe I'm just, I don't give enough or maybe I'm just not a good enough Christian. And, and you know that God loves you, but sometimes when you think of God, you kind of think of He just... Is kind of like this, like, come on. And what you need to know is that the opposite is quite tr is true, that rather Jesus Christ has this tender, melting heart compassion for each and every one of you in your need. As your need increases, his compassion increases. Some of you are here today and, and you, you hope God loves you. You, but you kind of wonder if maybe God's always an inch away from giving up on you because you have a lot of problems and a lot of questions and a lot of messes you've made for yourself and others, and you've had other people give up on you, and you kind of wonder, you know, maybe God's just this close to giving up on me. I hope not, but maybe. But once again, you need to know that your Savior, Jesus Christ, His compassion, His heart melts for each and every one of you here today in your need One of the things that we do sometimes when we are experiencing uh, compassion fatigue is we might all of a sudden say, all right, I'm going to create some boundaries in my life, boundaries on my time, boundaries on my relationships to get my life back because I'm just giving too much to others. In fact, there was a, a string of books that came out in the early 2000s. Uh, one of them, the first one was called Boundaries, When to Say Yes, When to Say No, to take back control of your life. Uh, it was written by Dr. Henry Cloud and Dr. John Townsend. Uh, it was written from a Christian perspective, uh, basically kind of counseling people that, you know, especially those who are giving so much of themselves that we have to make sure that we have proper, you know, boundaries so we can care for ourselves. And uh, the next edition that came out was uh, the new and expanded version for the digital age. What that basically means is that uh, email is everywhere, text messages, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, this barrage of just no boundaries, right? I mean, there's always alerts and notifications going off. And so, once again, it's an invitation to the digital age to create some boundaries on our time in our relationships so that we can have rest and renewal. This, uh, these books were, were pretty popular. In fact, there's a, a string of other titles like Boundaries for marriage, boundaries for dating, boundaries uh, for leaders, boundaries for, with kids. Uh, 
Sounds like we all need some boundaries or something, I guess. <laughs> uh, in fact, I would say that just about every church library I have visited has had this book in it. I see it on a lot of pastor's shelves, a lot of people in ministry. And I think the point of the book is good, is that we all need some healthy boundaries in our lives because none of us are Jesus. All of us have limits. All of us need to rest and be renewed and restored uh, and I think that sometimes churches can sometimes even become places where compassion feet will fester because sometimes we just give so much, but we don't rest. Now, while all of that is true and good and healthy, I want you to know this. I want you to take this home today and don't forget it. That when it comes to Jesus Christ, your Savior, your Good Shepherd, there are no boundaries at all nor should there be. We need boundaries between each other because we all have limits, but Jesus Christ doesn't have any boundaries with you as his beloved sheep. I mean, think about it. Were there any boundaries between you and Jesus when Jesus gave up his back to the whip, when he gave up his brow to the thorns, when he gave up his wrists and his feet to the nails? Were there any boundaries between you and Jesus, your Savior, when he actually took upon himself and bore in his body your particular sins, the sins you confess today at the beginning of church, the sin that continues to cause you to limp in your walk with him? Those sins, those sins, those secrets, those shameful things you wouldn't tell anyone else those things Jesus bore in his body for you willingly. You didn't have to twist his arm to do it. He did it for you willingly before you could even ask him to do it. No boundaries. And risen from the dead and ascended at the right hand of God, he now sends his Holy Spirit into your heart. And there's no boundaries between you and Jesus as now the Holy Spirit dwells in your heart. Not just with you, but in you. In fact, the typical way that Paul talks about Christians in his letters is the Apostle Paul calls you and me as Christians those who are in Christ. There's no boundary between you and Jesus if you are actually in Christ. Baptized into Christ, that means that what is Christ's is yours and yours is Christ's. Martin Luther puts it this way, that, you know, just like when you get married... Uh, whatever debts one spouse has becomes the debt of the other. Whatever assets of the one spouse becomes the assets of the other. In the same way, in Christ, because you are in Christ, your sin and your shame becomes his on the cross. All of your problems in life, all of your difficulties become actually his, and all of his righteousness and goodness and love and holiness becomes fully yours, right? There's no boundaries between you and Jesus. And so what you and I are left with is this. And I want you to hear these words and never forget them until you're dead. Jesus says to you and to me, he gives us the same invitation he gave to the crowds. The invitation is simple, it's beautiful, and he'll never take it back. That invitation is no matter where you're at in life, no matter what you've done, no matter how far you've wandered, no matter how often you stumble, the, the invitation is this. It's very simple. Come to me. Come to me. 
These are, I think, some of the most beautiful words that ever came from the mouth of our Savior. They're from Matthew 11, and he says this. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He doesn't say, come to me, all of you who have it together, and all of you who, who, who have a strong faith, and all of you who know all the Bible passages, and all of you who have your, all, all the details of your life worked out. No, Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. He, he's saying, I'm not going to rub your nose in your past mistakes. I'm not going to shame you. I'm not going to ghost you because you fail me. I'm going to invite you to come to me so that you can learn from me because I'm gentle and I'm lowly in heart. And you're going to find rest for your souls, rest for your souls that you can't find elsewhere. In fact, you may be really tired because you're looking for rest elsewhere. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We get that same beautiful invitation in John 6, 37. By the way, uh, this is from the chapter in which John reports to us in his gospel, the feeding of the 5,000. We get a little bit extra uh, details. Jesus talks about being the bread of life, the one who nourishes us, who gives us the food that never spoils, uh, who gives us his flesh and his blood to eat and to drink that sustains us forever. This is what Jesus says. He says, all that the Father gives to me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. And the grammar there, the, the words that are used should really be translated, will never ever cast out, by no means cast out. Jesus is giving you an invitation that's open to you that he'll never take back, that is to come to me in your need, in your failure, in your desperation, in your brokenness, come to me and I will never turn you away, ever. That's a promise that sustains us, right? And the beautiful thing is this, is that in order to come to Jesus, you don't actually need anything except just to have nothing. The crowds came empty-handed and with empty stomachs. And what did Jesus do? He fed them, and he taught them, and they left filled. And the same invitation is for us today as Jesus invites us to come to the table. You don't have to have anything except empty hands, and Jesus fills us.